Thank you for tuning into the Martial Art Podcast Show. For today, we only have one black belt on the show, being Bear, the MAPS member himself. We usually interview martial artists at instructor level, but today we're making an exception, as we have Sijian as a special guest on the podcast. Sijian has completed a filmmaker's degree at university and is continuing his passion for the craft and doing a practitioner's course in directing at the London Film School. Sijian is extremely knowledgeable on all things movies and understand the technicals on this really interesting craft. This should be quite fun today to set topics to casual, on-the-couch, relaxed, nerdy talk about movie making and martial arts. Movies and martial arts go hand in hand. Martial arts demonstrations have always been around and that showcase aspect has really grown into the film medium. Welcome to the show, Sijian. So, I study filmmaking degree, which is very vague, because what it actually is, is you, you learn every single aspect of uh, filmmaking. Anywhere from, you know, the cool parts, which is carrying a camera, traveling, to the really boring part, including paperwork, which I absolutely detest. <laughs> but you got to be done, you know, so... Um, and it is a very fun journey, you know. Uh, it's a lot of hard work, um, probably more so, uh, maybe a little bit more than I expect. But um, in the end of the day, I think it's all kind of worth it. You know, you learn from everyone that's there. And even though it's quite expensive, um, it's, it is one that prove, you need to prove your dedication to a craft. And I think it's, it's very worth it in the end. Studying at um, university degree, I, I find is already a big commitment because it really does carve out uh, your career path. So it shows you're dedicated to not not choose something like media design, something a bit more generic, but you went uh, bullseye straight for that topic, uh, for, for that sector, a very niche area of study. Uh, and then doing this uh, special, specialised practitioner school afterwards, that really does show like true dedication. It depends. I think university one was just... Um, more of what you did in uh, A-levels, which was... You basically did the same thing for three years. <laughs> it's not that different. On the other hand, I think doing a master's is on filmmaking is very different. Um, because you do have to remember, film studies and filmmaking is a very different course. Film studies is more like English literature half the time. Actually, most of the time, you're just watching a film and writing an essay about it, you know, analysing techniques and stuff like that. Um and you rarely have the chance to actually make it. But now the film Smilking, on the other hand, is quite practical. It's very practical. In fact, you exclusively do making. I mean, true, sometimes you do get to have to watch a film and analyze and talk about it or whatever. But that's about you know, 20%. You spend most of the time trying to set stuff up, prepare, try to shoot in a professional level. Um, and, well, most importantly, work as a team. And I think that's a very different experience um, to the university degree. Uh, university degree, well, yeah, you can argue that it, you're showing a dedication, but it's at the same time, it's still a very... It, it trains you mainly still English language essay writing and um, analysing skills. It's still the bare basics. You're not really going in-depth in that industry. You're not really working in an industry yet. You're just looking from the outside, I suppose. So it's more academic. So you're transitioning from... yeah very academic like paper-based essay level mm. to being um, what it sounds like a lot more practical, a lot more um, key handling skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, w- I would say so. 
I was thinking of this question I had in mind, but I thought I'll ask you later. But now that you've uh, <laughs> you mentioned my name, <laughs> let me just ask you then on this because I, I was I was wondering like what made you what made you choose that? What made you choose film film making? Um, you, you know, what, what was what was your inspiration behind it? Oh, that's a very good question. See, your answer is always different every time someone asks me because. And it's something that you sort of build up over the years. Like, what made you choose martial art? You can't realistically pinpoint to one specific movie or one specific moment. That's true. Um, I would say, for this, in this case, I would say, it's actually, in fact, editing. Of course, you know, everyone loved movies. You know, at some point in their life, you know, but the choice to actually study it is very different. Um, everyone likes a lot of filmmakers or film. You know, they always make fun of. Uh, you know, our film students being, oh, Tarantino, everyone loves Tarantino. Well, that's not really true. I think most people prefer someone else over Tarantino. Um, I would say I, lo- I just love the passion of filmmakers. It's just how much they dedicate to their craft um, and just the effort and the ah, the improvisation, the creative problem-solving aspect. And for me specifically, um, when I edited my first videos, I found the joy of being able to have, well, it's, it's a bit unrealistic in a real environment, but it's the idea that you can have unlimited time to fix your problems. It's, it's about, mm-hmm. it's not about making it perfect, but about, sorry, it's not about making it perfect the first time, but it's about correcting things you did wrong, at least from an editing perspective. I, and I really enjoy the fact that it's very forgiving in that case. Um, and, that really sort of helps and encourages the idea of learning just simply by being a forgiving sort of industry career, you know? You screw up, yes, you know, for example, you should, you know, you screw up filming or whatever. As an editor, you have to learn how to fix the problem in the end. I mean, in the real world, you shouldn't really need to, you know, everyone should be to a level where everyone did a job properly, but sometimes you just got to do it, you know? Sometimes you got to have to fix people's problems. And I kind of enjoy the idea of, it's almost like a skill, just like turning something that would, you know about what seemed to be a train wreck into something that's actually acceptable and that's such a rewarding feeling you know true it's not going to be perfect it's not going to be gold but something that would have been horrible would have been crap and yes made it decent and that's like you know you basically saved someone in a way (laughs) and i really enjoy that experience just creative problem solving in general sorry i'm going too long Oh no, no, that's that's a that's that's a beautiful answer actually because I, I used to uh, do graphic design in in my younger days and everything everything I tell you and everything I tell Kay is all about my younger days right <laughs> things I've done so part of it was trying to get into film school uh, and wanting to go I was looking at New York Film Academy and I went to a couple of workshops I went to the open days and I spoke to loads of people. And I mean, I, I find it fascinating. I find it hard work, um, you know. And so this is why it's really impressive that you, you've carried that on with your passion and you've t- turned into a skill and talent. You know, like it's so creative, it's so artistic as well as as mechanical as technical. You know, all all this, all the stuff you need to know and what you learn, right? So it's it's all all the stuff which is hands on and probably sort of look back at your work 10 years ago and you'd say, oh, well, I could have improved that. Yeah, it's a yeah, video. Um, 
creative <laughs> kind of kind of piece. It is it's different from a normal nine to five or nine to six job. So you, I think most people are are lacking um, creativity in what they do, even if they work in a very creative industry, they kind of get slotted into an area, um, very specialized, uh, it, it, even in media, all, all sorts of media practices that end up not being very creative because they have to focus on a certain function. Uh, I guess filmmaking would be the same when you work on a big production, uh, I, I, I'm guessing. But when, you, when you're driving on the um, filmmaking part, uh, on, on that side, you get to see everything and it's not so it's not so limited scope and it's a lot lot more interesting i guess give and take because um as you know as all careers are there is hierarchy there are creative roles and they're, they're very technical roles but um what's very important you mentioned before is that how it blends the artistic with the technical and that's what i enjoy about it very much um it's a skill sorry it's a it's a career that rewards you for having i don't know if it's the right word wisdom i suppose it's just if you know how to convert or if you're good at converting skills that you learn from other stuff into this field it's very rewarding you never know how you're good at things that you didn't even try didn't even done before because you've done something else um it could be something silly i don't know it'd be like i don't know if you're good at playing sports or team-based activities uh it's very rewarding and very rewarding in the sense that when you're being a director you need to be able to work as a team very much work as a team and you can easily transfer skills from i don't know something super as like playing video games to um to filmmaking because it's all about communication being clear being concise um and and if you know how to convert a lot of skills for example something like i don't know when you're a kid you know we all you played minecraft and whatever you, you did some modding or whatever uh, or you know you try to make your own little youtube video it sounds Depends stupid what kind and... of kid when you say <laughs> minecraft that really does splice out a generation well, I think that's a quite a long generation. It's been ten years, to be fair. It's like my generation and the generation currently. They're still playing Minecraft. Oh, I bet this guy says ten years is long. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you can tell I, I'm... I'm not exactly ancient. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's something as silly as that, and a lot of people ironically don't do stuff like that, and they don't have the experience of being able to. Um, for example, they don't have the low technical experience that you learn from something as silly as playing Minecraft, you know, and and you, you can just put all these sort of learning experiences you you have done in when you're a kid that you didn't think that was very important, and when you actually you know get to work as semi professional level, you just you can pull back those memories, and be like, damn, I'm so glad I actually did that. You know, my mom said that doing this would never teach me anything, but it turns out it did, and it really surprised you a lot of the times. And I think so that's kind Minecraft. of a very cool thing is a good example you use because that one um, specifically does uh, play on the building part the creativity side so that's what that's the popularity behind minecraft is uh, a- enabling you to be creative in, in your own personal world yes and i say a lot of very creative games and uh, for me uh, i know when uh, i was i don't know as i say this uh, when you were younger you gave me a, a little video game called warcraft 3 and there's a map uh, editing tool in it and uh, that it, it's it's and and that really got me into like and of being really interested in sort of creating things in general just um just creating your own world creating your visuals um even if you know downloading skins and whatever from the internet and making it yourself it's the it's very much similar to editing when you think about it really you're basically getting what you 
can get hold of and then making something new out of it, you know? And yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, world building is quite uh, addictive, isn't it? Uh, and back to the, the uh, was, it, was it World of Warcraft story? I think um, that was because, back, you know, back then like, my computer wasn't very good. <laughs> so I tried to install it and it didn't work. Like, I was like, damn, my specs aren't good enough to play like really basic games. I think the only only game that I, I my computer could like run was uh um Age of Empires two. Oh, yeah. I think it's Age of Empires two, but that, that was that was, that was a classic game. Yeah, that yeah, was a classic yeah. game. I mean we had a discussion about this earlier, but video games and movies have not yet translated over very well, right? That would you agree on that? Like not yet. To the cinema medium? Yeah, yeah, from movies oh. uh, and video games and vice versa. I think they've translated badly, whichever direction you go. Yes, for the most part. And then yeah. Arcane came out. <laughs> I'm going to preach because it's one of my favourite shows at the moment. Uh, but is Netflix, Arcane it's... live action, though? No, and I think it's almost better because it's not. No, that's um, what I mean. Um, I think for live... Sorry, I should have said live action movies. Yeah, yeah. for, for, for um, animation... Uh, video games and animation go hand in hand very well, v- very very what, well, extremely think? well. I think so. <laughs> you think if the they still mess it up? It, yeah, but that, still... that's, that's less on the directing though. I'd say that's more on uh, the the limitations of like copyright and um, the, that kind of production issues. But if given the full uh, uh, intellectual property, um, uh, if if, the, if the intellectual property was an issue then I think animation works very well with video games. Um, I think it's easier. That said, I think it's all down to how they tell the, st- tell the story. Um, they are getting better, albeit. Um, I think maybe it's just because more and more of the younger generations are moving up to, the, to that world, and now they, have, they you know, grew up playing video games. They know these worlds very well, and so when they get their hands on this IP and property, they can just go... Hey, you know what? I finally get my chance to make what I want, so let's do it right, you know? So you don't want to see another Duncan Jones Warcraft tragedy, you know? <laughs> so um, you did mention a very good point about being technical, and that's why we have you uh, on, on this session with us today, to really share some of that knowledge and wisdom you mentioned. Uh, if you can maybe tell us just the basics of cinematography, because I know we can very quickly dive into fandom of which martial art movies we like best. And I think that topic, personally, I find that's overcooked. I think it's an overcooked topic. I think it works better on YouTube than the podcast, mm. uh, primarily because you enjoy watching the replay. So when they do it on YouTube, uh, they show the clip, but that video itself, you enjoy that video so much because they're including clips that are very, very high quality that took so many hours of production to make. And then the um, the caption at the end or... Oh, the uh, description at the end with the stuntman is a lot easier job that way I find but uh, I think what we haven't been able to see a lot of is really applying cinematography to it there are some video essays that are extremely good but I think maybe you can give us a bit of uh, the basics what what the key basics of cinematography that would be a good start I think cinematography or cinematography in terms of martial arts I find well, maybe if you talk about cinematography and yeah. use martial art movies to support that as examples. Hmm. Okay. Um, 
Well, I mean, as you know, uh, cinematography is effectively the art of where to put the damn camera. Um, and you'd be surprised how important that question is. Um, because, well, what you see is half the movie. Of course, what you hear is the other half, but um, in the case of, let's say, martial art movies, um, let's let's go old school, right? Um, Bruce Lee, right? Back in the days, I like to say, they're not very familiar with doing kung fu films. And we've all seen... Bruce Lee movies, right? Um, you, we've seen a famous fight with uh, Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris. And, of course, back in the days, they don't know how to, as we call it, cover a scene or cover a marsh, uh, action scene, right? And they like to shoot wide because they don't want to miss anything, right? You don't want to miss a punch or you don't want a punch to sort of cut off or you don't want to jump or an action that, you know, the camera didn't capture. So they always shoot very wide, you know? They see a lot. And while that's good it gives a very organic feel and it gives you know the stunt person the opportunity to shine but um it does make it kind of boring especially back in the days where they don't really like to move the cameras a because the cameras are really heavy and b they're a very sensitive tool so they move it or i don't know they move it or they crash it or damage it you know they could just completely damage your camera so they don't like to move very much they often would zoom or just keep it Keep a frame of we call it a two shot where a shot with you know a frame with two people in it one on the left side one on the right side almost like a fighting game as you see in you know, Street Fighters for example um, that's probably where they inspired it from I don't know um, but uh, that's the the, the read because they don't know how to cover it they they often do it that way um, and of course you know it, it's very raw very organic and all the hits are as you can see pretty damn real right it has a awesome feeling to it. But of course, um, for the Bruce Lee ones, as... yeah, not not for all. Yeah, for of Bruce them. Lee ones, yeah, no, definitely for, for his ones. Yeah, I think for the older ones, the Shaw Brothers one, you see a lot of that. You, you, did you describe it? Two shot, where so you got two yeah, people, two one one on the left, one on the on, right. Okay, the two profile shot where you see the side of the face, you know, one on the left side, one on the right side. You know, it's like a street fight. Oh, like, from uh, the sideways, like a side scroller. Yeah. So from that yeah. angle, um, the Shaw Brothers used to um, explain the reasoning for that is that you can see the stance work. So in martial arts because bear's been doing like karate the, the stance is the first thing you learn before you even learn kicking and punching so the stance work also dictates the style so i think maybe it had that kind of uh the reasoning for that because for martial arts it's usually one style versus a different style one school versus a different school and that personality or the culture of the school is expressed through the stance work but when you have it uh, if you have the camera waist height like today's action movies where is at different angles and it's usually like above the waist. You don't see what their feet are doing. You, you can't really see the foot placement. Uh, and it's a lot easier for, for actors and stuntmen now. Because when you have to do stance work, you get burning thighs, being that horse stance all the time. So I think that mm. might have been part of why they wanted to see the feet so badly. Oh, maybe that, that's true. I never really thought about that. Um I mean, I could. Uh, I'm sure Shaw Brothers film for I did it for that reason. Um, since a lot of them were shot in Hong Kong, where they're much more familiar with martial art. Um, but I think earlier on, maybe in the West, when they first have sort of kung fu films, I think they were almost struggling with it. Um, even you know, uh, but of course, uh, as time gone on, you know, cameras got a little lighter. They got a little bit more experimental. Um, and of course, they take the inspiration from Hong Kong. Kung Fu films as well, um, you know, maybe in the era of Jackie Chan, let's say, uh, early Jackie Chan stuff. Um, well, there's loads of different things. <laughs> where, where should I begin? Uh, well, let's go over the basics. Um, 
the idea of selling a hit, right? Um, what what what's very interesting is, as you know, needless to say, that's the kung fu films. No, you know, you know, martial art films. They don't fight for real. You know, the 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 actors at the end of the day, you know, as realistic or as awesome or as whatever the scene is, they they are still acting, and so it's all about how to sell the hit, right? And in the case of Jackie Chan, and what I assume what many people enjoy about watching Jackie Chan fight is that he is very good at doing that, and maybe because he originates from sort of you know Peking or Beijing opera, which is a very you know. Stance based, very flamboyant, very exaggerated, you know, uh, performance style, and he translates that into, say, cinema. Um, whenever, let's say, he goes for a punch or he gets punched, you know, to make that very, very, you know, feels good, as I like to call it, you know, to make that give that oomph to a punch, you know, they they cut to like a close up of it, or you know, you know, just like a repeat of the same punch, you know. Sometimes if you pay attention, you know, if you you can see the wind-up of the punch, and then they cut directly to a close-up, just to, you know, sometimes they add powder or whatever, just to, like, really sell the hit to make, uh, give the powerful oomph. Yeah, a lot of flour. Like, flowers flying all yeah. over the place to demonstrate the motion. But that's true what you said. So, a lot of people don't notice in Jackie Chan movies, and from Sammo Hong, uh, even predating Jackie Chan, from the Sammo Hong style, is that um, he would land a punch or a kick. So, you see it from like you described the two shot, some I say far away, non-practitioners, uh, layman terms. You see a punch or kick from far away, and then they zoom in in a different shot where you see the close-up of the foot or the, uh, the fist landing the shot. So in real time, there's actually a time lapse there. As in, someone gets kicked, and then they zoom in, and then they show the kick land, but very like milliseconds apart. But where they... Where they do live time, where someone punches, then you see the close up. Then you've missed the punch and you miss the kick, so you have much less impact. So I understand what you're trying to say is like the timing isn't live timing; it's film timing, but it works very well to sell the impact. Hmm, and that's like a very, I guess,、uh, one of the first, maybe, maybe one of the first things. That they try to do to make it look in,、uh, to make it much more, much more, much more interesting. Of course, they start experimenting, especially in Hong Kong's you know, martial arts cinema. They start experimenting with all sorts of fancy stuff, you know. And as you know, every fight, especially the really good ones, there's a story throughout. You know, that, you know, sometimes a bad guy is winning, 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 and makes you feel, oh no, how's our hero going to feel? And and you know, and then of course our hero triumphs over that, you know, eventually. And every Fight scene has to have that little、uh, story within the story, of course.、Uh, you know, and it's almost like you know the way how they tell it through martial arts is almost like a, a comedy. You know, sometimes they they add. Oh, where should I begin?、Um, <laughs> sometimes they add something called、uh, know, a surprise cut, or、uh, basically where you know a character winds up for a punch, right? And you or charges towards the character. You think the you know the other character is going to get hit, right? That's what you expect. And then you cut to the same person being kicked away. You know, it's like a surprise. It's almost like a joke, in a way. But um, uh, and then they, 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 that's just like from you know, one sort of fun stuff that sort of experimented with um during like uh you know Hong Kong martial arts uh movies. Um, of course they did like loads of different ways to sort of incorporate that idea into the film. You know, um, they could. 
Uh, I think occasionally they did some, you know, uh, slow motion, of course, uh, as you know. Um, because back in the day, slow motion was, uh, how do you say it? They didn't really have actual slow motion, you know. They literally was it expensive? Just slowed... is, that, is that why they can't do it? Is it a technological issue? Why we can't do slow motion? Because um... I thought cameras were slow anyway. Oh, that, that's a stupid comment. Well, why was it hard to do slow motion? Because uh, National Geographic's always had slow motion, right? Like from I don't know how long, like that we could imagine. Not National Geographic, sorry, like the uh, nature documentaries of BBC. That they've always had slow motion, haven't they? Um, I don't know, but well, from my experience of filming film cameras, um, they often have a set speed. Um, I mean, I'm sure there may be, you know, cameras can capture slow motion back in the days, but it wouldn't be as advance of what we have they can only turn this you know the famous number 24 you know they can only do 24 frames a second so in order to do that slow motion effect they literally just you know stretch the 24 into 12 per second you know so that's why it looks a lot choppier when you, when you get those you know slow motion shots in those uh uh hong kong style um cinema and um it, again that's another like technique like the use to sort of emphasize that you know oomph when they Finally, get to the hit. They use slow motion to wind up, or either you know to, to use it as the wind up shots. You know the shot where the person's winding up a punch, or they could use it to sort of emphasize the punch by having the reaction of the character shot in slow motion. You know it could be flying back slowly and then, uh, you know as in Street Fighter, we go. Uh, 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 uh. I mean that's literally where it come from. You know you may laugh about it, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's literally where it comes from. You know, it, it's it's you know a lot of, of course, like I said, a lot of video games still their techniques on filmers as well. So, um, do do you feel uh, do you feel that the uh, the uh, Hollywood movie industry has taken a lot of uh, uh, inspiration and techniques from the Hong Kong movie industry? Earlier on, I say not very much. They have a very different path to action initially because they're talking about the 80s and 90s you know they have their own yeah. style and very independent because there's some diaspora between the two occasionally um but i think modern um action cinema of course has you know has taken a lot of inspirations from hong kong hong kong cinema um uh though uh that being said i think uh there's there's still a few and far between you know you got the john wick of course which is you know, yeah. a huge homage to um, martial arts um, in general. And Gun Carter, you know, stuff like um, Kung Fu, as some people like to call it, you know, um, which is like, you know, a homage to both, uh, you know, uh, hard-boiled styles of, like, you know, innovators of... The John uh, Woo stuff. John Woo stuff, yes. Woo, the John yeah. Woo uh, gunfights, which is, you know, inspired by those. Um, which in of itself is also inspired by, you know, uh, wuxia movies from back in the days, you know, where it, or, or art martial arts in general, in the sense that the truth, they use guns, but they're still posing, they're still doing stances, they're still punch. you know, it sounds kind of, it looks, yeah. if you watch, watch back, you know, hardboard again, it's kind of ridiculous how they fire the gun, you know, it's very unrealistic, you know, they're punching with the gun sometimes, and um, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it is, you know, I want to watch that. They, the they're punching with that. the guns, effectively, um, unnecessarily, but you know, again, it's just to sell the oomph, you know, sell the hit, you know, and they still use the same technique as uh, martial art movies, slow motion, fall back, you know, some or you know, or the hero just jump off a very tall building and shoot someone very slowly, and occasionally doves fly out, as John Woo likes it. Um, but yeah, uh, 
I think a lot of modern Hollywood films try. Some does, and some does it to more more of a degree than others, of course. Um, it's called uh, and I think. What do you think is the t- turning yeah. point for when um, the uh, Hollywood has taken an interest in adopting some of the techniques and styles of influence? Cool. I would, think would it many be have tried over the years. I think Matrix would be the popular one, but of course, I'm sure other people have done it before. You know, um, Kung Fu films was very popular in um, America due to um, the African American population who really syn- syn- synchronize, synchronize with sort of and understand a lot of. Uh, Bruce Lee movies um, and all of you know martial art films initially you know um, it's because it generally is very simple their story is often about um, characters being discriminated and have to stand up for what they know is right and I think that really uh, amplifies a lot with uh, a lot of African-American sort of ideology at the time and as you know Kung Fu films were sort of popular in the 80s I think some so black exploitation films try to do something here and there that's sort of similar or pay homage to um, kung fu films. Um, Bruce Leroy, have you seen Blue? Have you seen Bruce Leroy? <laughs> yeah, Bruce have Leroy. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. But... <laughs> have you not seen Bruce Leroy? Oh my god, it's like the villains. I'll get you, Bruce Leroy. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> awesome, right? You can uh, picture I it, right? But I, I know yeah. uh, we we deserve a separate. Um, episode just going into like the the black culture and the chinese culture and and america and see the uh development from there uh the cultural development uh um uh, that organically grew from 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 i think like you said that a lot of them bruce lee movies were quite popular in uh the big cinema is it called um uh the chinese theater or china theater that there's a big cinema they have and they 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 play loads of chinese movies but it, it is a yeah, kind of like a landmark <laughs> uh, in, in, in New York somewhere. Uh, what about going back to cinematography in a lot of parodies that you get now? They, they do pick up the point for the older Kung Fu movies. They seem to zoom into the eyes. Maybe it goes back to your point that the camera's on a fixture, so they didn't have very good articulation with the camera. It wasn't very mobile. Uh, they zoom into the eyes, and then someone does an angry face, and they do the music, and uh-huh. then they zoom out, and they look at the other guy, and then they zoom into the eyes, and then that guy reacts with his eyes, with a squint, and then they zoom back into the hero's eyes. So you have this, like, kind of comedic, like, they zoom into the eyes, but the, uh, apart from the eyes, the rest of the face is, like, in a shadow, so the eyes really mm. stand out. But do you know what I'm on about? Do you, do you know which bit yeah. I'm on about? <laughs> uh, I like to think it is a joke on, um, was it... Uh, Dragon. Oh my pause. god! You're not it. allowed to. Yeah. You could you could get everything wrong, but if you get Bruce Lee wrong, yeah, that's, oh. that's uh, oh oh, yeah, like yeah, bear yeah, shaking yeah. his head. That's like the blasphemy. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's blasphemy. I can make the excuse. <laughs> I can make the excuse that I don't know the English name. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, Enter the Dragon. Yeah, Enter the Dragon. Um, is you know the famous scene where he's, my favorite one. He that, that really on. is my favorite one. Out of the yeah. Bruce Lee movies, I know the um, no, sorry, oh, no, I'm in trouble. No, the way of the dragon is my favorite one. Oh, the Enter way the of the dragon, dragon. Okay. I, I didn't like that much. Enter the dragon was when they went on the island, right? And then the way yeah, of the dragon, the was Mortal Kombat. yeah, I, I, 
Sorry, I'm I'm more of the. A lot of people say the way of the dragon was actually kind of crap uh, in comparison because it wasn't it was shot by him. Not the fight him. scenes. Not the fight scenes. No, the fight scene was great, of course, the but um, in terms of the story, the everything around it. Oh, what story and, uh, did, it, it, did the did the Enter the Dragon have? It didn't have a story. No, it kind of did. Um, I think sister got kidnapped and they go to island save sister. So I wasn't really much about the story. That's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, his sister didn't um, get kidnapped. His sister died at the opening scene. Died? He, he, uh, yeah. Uh, he was a special agent and he was like taking revenge for his sister, but it was an operation to infiltrate this island, the secret island held by this uh, little warlord who had his like little games, uh, uh, sadistic yeah, games yeah. with martial arts. So, yeah. Um, so, on the camera, Wait, zooming in uh, now, you said that's from, that's inspired from. I think Enter it's inspired by that that scene in Enter the Dragon where he steps on, I assume, because he doesn't see it. You know, he steps on the gentleman's uh, uh, bits, and he screams really, really loudly, and the camera just focuses on exclusively the excruciating face oh, that he gives. Adrenaline. Maybe it's... he's expressing the full when you get the full um, ecstasy of adrenaline, like the climatic moment of uh, passion, where you're pushing so hard. So he's pushing in the combat side, but when he's he's only got a very tiny body, right? Is is a small human body, and that passion is just exploding in. That's why her face is erupting all weird, like um, distort, like contorted faces. Is it is really a demonstration of passion? Mm. Um, but so back to the topic of um, Hollywood and uh, inspirations. Um... To be honest, it's really hard to say. I mean, each have tried in the past, and I think there are landmarks of films like that. So, you know, as you said, as you mentioned before, um, The Matrix is a famous one. Um, it's both, you know, Kung Fu and Gun Carter style. So, a homage to both. Um, but, of course, you know, they, you know, they, of course, sometimes they hire, you know, Hong Kong directors who are well known. So, you know, John Woo, for example, who made Face Off, you know. So, yeah, uh, you know, some people might debate on the quality of the film, but in the end of the day, it's almost their way to sort of bring kung fu into hollywood um at least attempts to do that and many you know kind of no i wouldn't say succeeded you know it, it was there they made it didn't really last very long um and sort of disappears for a few years and then occasionally comes back you know john wick for example occasionally and as you know and many others try to you know copy off of john wick i.e atomic blonde um uh, and I know done by like the same choreographers, so you know it's very, uh, it's it's uh, it's very, um, they're similar, but you know they're not really ripping off in that case. But um, I say Hollywood has a very different take in action. Uh, contemporary uh, Hollywood's action, I think they sort of wanted to call back to the old school style of trying to be very organic, trying to be very, um. You know, very real uh, as opposed to ve- being very heavily edited. You know, to contrast with sort of the early you know twenty ten, maybe so late two thousands, early twenty tens, so action film style. Um, famously, um, uh, what's it called? Just Born, either Jason Bourne series. I and I've seen those films. Yep. The shaky um, cam, but shaky yeah, cam. You, you know, you get the you shaky cam. Away. Yeah, the shaky cam, the high. The you know many many cuts and editing you know there's this famous clip of Neil Neeson jumping over a fence in uh, Taken uh, two or three whichever one it was let's be honest most people forgot after the first one but um uh, in two or three where you know it took literally twenty different cuts to jump over a fence it looks ridiculous it looks silly but that's the kind of style they they were at the time and um 
I guess to sort of deviate against that, a lot of the sort of contemporaries, um, action directors want to just basically hold hold on to the action. Uh, Creed. Uh, f- I don't know if you guys seen Creed, but um, Creed one the, the best. Creed best one scene ever. Not the actual end scene, but the one where he's fighting intro uh, interclub, or is it interclub? I think they're from the same club, but he fights a professional boxer who's is quite tattooed yeah. up, a real boxer, and that scene applied so much CG to make it streamline and uh, in continuity because they, they did take uh, breaks, but I think there's like really uh, clever way up when they go behind a mm. pillar. It, but the whole scene uh, is flawless. You, you can't see a single flaw. It, it looks like one shot. It, it wasn't one shot. They used CG uh, to make it um, uh, continuous, yeah. but it was amazing. They blend the takes together, but it makes it feel like you're in the action, you know. Also, just to contrast from like old school action film coverage, they actually move the damn com- camera, you know. They sometimes they move it closer, further away, turning around, almost as if you're like the third person. You're you're almost watching the match in that arena, you know. It gives you that adrenaline feel, you know. You're close to the action. You're 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 really close to punches and hits, and of course, um, by making it sort of as they like to call it a long take or one take. Um, that it, it's well true. Are they use effects and stuff to hide the cuts? But the fact that you don't really notice it makes it feel real, as if these characters are actually fighting, right? These are you know, and it really pushes that organic feel to them. Um, and I think so a lot you... of action styles really likes doing that kind of one take. Yeah, no, I'm, this is so fascinating because I was now thinking of all the te- I was going more technical. Uh, you can ask, hey, I'm usually into the psychology of it, but now I'm looking at the technicalities where I'm thinking with all your different shots and shot types, you would have some sort of a label, right? So my question is, would you sort of, when you're making your uh, movie uh, for your role, do you just have a jargon, like a terminology saying, you know, your director or, or, you know, would say like in the script, yeah, this long shot like you mentioned would it be just that straightforward or would it be some sort of a discussion about no we're going to do it this way this is what we might propose and you you know your director would propose something and you would propose something would it work that way i'm just imagining in the real world and i assume how we do it as well um it won't be in for the most part some direct uh, some writer director might do this but um, for the most part, in theory, you don't write these in the script. That's not your job as a writer. And of course, the writer and often the director are different people. So the writer have to do it in a way where it has it in it. You know, for example, you know, they fight or whatever, you know, in the script. And then the director are, and oftentimes the director are more, more or less are in charge of taking care of the actual performance, the drama part of the film. And in terms of the action scenes, they, of course, they have specific action directors that are in charge of producing cool fights, right? And I think a lot of times um, the action directors are really the guys who you really need to be thanking in terms of um, these action scenes because they're the ones with the experience how to specific shoot left punch, right punch, you know, where to put the camera in this shot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times maybe the director doesn't really have too much say they could say, you know, they, they could say, oh, this doesn't look very good. It doesn't, doesn't look good enough. But I think an action director are more or less in charge of these scenes like this, oftentimes. 
Um, because, well, a traditional director wouldn't really have experience doing a fight scene. Um, a, they're not choreographers. Uh, they don't know how to do it safely. Um, and a load of different elements, of course. Um, so it's very split. Um, and no, it's often uh, not planned by the writers. Um, it's often planned by the choreographers and the um, uh, and the action directors. Um, if that's the if that helps you answer the question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is um, I'm just sort of thinking out loud of these questions because I would just imagine what would I would be doing in that situation where I was a um, like cinematographer. You know, that was my role, or the DOP. Um, what would it be? You know, like director of mm -hmm. photography and um yeah. as the director of photography or dp for short um your role would be to know where to put the camera how to move it to well to make it look good basically you know um what shots you want to have um and you communicate that you design these shot you know we call a shot list you know for example you know when character a is getting punched i want a close-up on this you know let's maybe add a bit of powder on it so you can really you know sell their hits is that or more the choreographer say, or is that more the DOP um, for, for something like that? For camera, it's DOP. The bit of a powder, really, oh, that's, okay. I don't know. Uh, choreographer. It could be a choreographer. It could be art department, really down to who wants it. <laughs> Sometimes the director just wants it and then someone doesn't have to deal with it, you know. So um, whoever's higher on the list, I guess. <laughs> um, but in terms of where to put the camera, yeah, the DOP is in charge the DP is in charge of where to put the camera and you should have someone else to move the camera. Um, and basically their, their, their job is to figure out what, how to cover a scene and make it look good. You know, what to include, what to not include um, and how to shoot it basically. Um, and how to light it occasionally. Um, yeah. The one shot you mentioned is really like, we'll, we'll get told off if we don't mention this. The best one shot or you call it, is it the long take or is it the one shot where you don't have uh, one, different uh, shots? Well, different, yeah. Cool, one take. take. One take, yeah. yeah. One the take, one yeah. take, the most impressive one take of all time is a movie called The Protector, uh, 2005. Yeah. That followed like, um, after after the On Back series, after, after On Back was famous. It's kind of like an On Back spin-off, a Tony Jaa. And his kind of fitness, his level of fitness to do that shot is amazing. So it's a genuine... Uh, long shot so where the creed uses um incredible technology to make it one take this one was uh all real so he had to run through a corridor jump over stairs jump over balcony fight loads of guys on the stairs and it's so tiring because you have to do that multiple times and get it right each time but that that was the most impressive uh a one shot long take. I think fight choreographer or the designer for that, I believe I might be wrong, but I believe it was Sam Hong who did that. Oh, is it? Uh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, and no, Sam Hong and, and uh, uh, Tony Jaa are very, very close uh, in relations. Mm. They're, they're very, they've got very good working relations. Uh, and you, you mentioned John Wick. So going back to that, that cinematography. So John Wick stands out to me. It really isn't the best action of all time. It is like 10 out of 10 action. I love the action. It was 10 out of 10 actions for me. But I don't think its signature was the action, even though the whole movie is one action scene, right? Uh, I think that's where the shining, um, the DOP really outshines in that specific example because the color is, it represents its own universe. It's very like surreal, almost, I don't know, describe it the right way, like cyberpunk. 
type colors at nighttime mm. neon lights very gritty uh you feel the material and everything like wet and rainy outside it was very yeah, strong Blade runner type yeah like blade runner yeah. so that movie john wick i think the dop was more important than the action choreographer i i i believe i think because because it was that people like john wick for that whole very surreal blade runner type style wasn't it a very stylistic movie that's a very interesting uh, comment because when I watched John Wick, I was more appreciative of the choreography, because true, uh, John Wick does what well, very iconic about John Wick is actually in fact it's it's universe, this world that it presents you. You know, it's something that's familiar and yet outlandish. You know how there's almost like a secret organization of assassins that's just underneath this surface layer, as if and that doesn't happen in real um, life. You think? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You might know something I don't know. <laughs> um. But I think you have to have good choreography to to be there in the first place, because otherwise you have nothing to capture, right? You know, it's like you know, if you're very good at cinematography, but you have bad actors, you still have a bad you know performance, regardless, even if it looks good. And I think for me, I think the I think it's larger because there was a good good team of. Uh, stunt people who are there to yeah they had the brazilian present... jiu-jitsu it's not very often used in movies because the in fact it's used the least in chinese movies and they they were um in the past they've always um tried to bring out brazilian jiu-jitsu uh but very unsuccessful they do use it a lot in very old chinese movies as well but they try to shorten the grappling on the floor because they feel that two guys uh, being so close, rolling on the floor, they felt at the time to the culture or to the perception, the audience wouldn't find that very exciting. They they would they find it quite ugly. They describe it. If two guys were rolling on the floor for a prolonged period of time, it wouldn't look as clean and it wouldn't wouldn't look as exciting. So they prefer having a long fight with loads of flying kicks uh, rather than two guys rolling on the floor. John John Wick, uh, Keanu Reeves, I believe he studied like six or nine months. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It was very close with us. He did it every day, so it was very committed. Mm. Uh, I had honor of meeting him on set once upon a different lifetime, yeah. and it, nicest guy on the planet. Like I was saying to Bear the other day, he's like basically a Buddha. Basically, <laughs> like he's achieved like where he, he he's so relaxed in his kind of world, and he's so nice. Uh, so it, Keanu's already already had an interest in martial arts since the matrix i think the matrix is the one where really got him into martial arts and um that tai chi movie which i thought honestly was awful (laughs) and uh was it the king of tai chi or something like that 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 was not that great but john wick uh uses a lot of brazilian jiu-jitsu that was impressive and also um with the um actors that he had in john wick three was it John Wick 3, where the same, uh, some of the same stuntmen from The Raid, the movie The Raid 2, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's Sesep Arif Rahman, Mr. Arif Rahman, so it's one of the select guys, uh, you know, you get two, in, in that scene where he's breaking glass everywhere, I think it's John Wick 2, I believe, it's John Wick 2, where he's fighting with, and he's knocking over loads of glass boxes, oh, and yeah. these two guys yeah, are like playing with him. Yeah, John Wick too. So, mm. so that guy, um, uh, Arif Rahman, Mr. Arif Rahman, he, uh, 
it is really big in the um, Pentaxalat community. In Salat, uh, me and Bear, we actually, uh, I, I had a very close friend who participated in the Salat tournaments, in the world tournaments, in the world like Salat. Uh, he got silver for for France, and I think he got, he might have had first place uh, for for Malaysia, I believe, for the heavyweight division. And he actually met Eric Rahman. He was telling us, oh yeah, it's the guy from John Wick 2 and you know, he met him and they were doing all these moves. So it's amazing. Mm. But, um, yeah, so back to cinematography. Do you think that there was a huge influence from Westerns, from, like, the cowboy Westerns, I mean, that kind of went into martial art movies? Because Westerns, you know, I was making the joke about how they zoom into the eyes. Cowboy <laughs> movies did that a lot, right? And they actually yeah. did the guitar, is it the rift? Where they kind yeah. of suspense music as well. And they have the faces, the nose and the forehead, like kind of in the shadow and the eyes will be like in that bar. So you, you see that in cowboy movies as well. So I'm not sure if you got any, um, uh, if you had any studies in, in, in Westerns and how, how influential bit. they might be. Maybe it's more influential towards Western martial art films, which, as opposed to Hong Kong cinema, because Hong Kong martial art films are very different to like Western interpretation of it, you know. Um, which you know, and I think it's more to do the idea of tension and the idea of standoff between the good guy and the bad guy, um, and it's just their way of. Introducing, sorry, introducing to, to to hype up the drama before the fight. Really, I mean, you know, you've all seen those classic shots where the camera pans across each other's shoulders. You know, all, you know, from one over the shoulder, you know, you see the good guy's face, and then from the other guy's perspective, you see the bad guy's face. You know, it's all about the face in sort of Western, sort of Western um, Hollywood style um, cinema. Because um, you know, it's very much about the drama, even if even if it's if it even if it is the fighting. Um, but I think in the East, it's very much more about the performance, the action. You know, sometimes you, that's why you, they were able to do shots where you don't see the person's face. You always see it's just a close up of a fist coming into someone's chest. Um, you don't really get that in the in, in South Hollywood, at least not. In the cowboy movies? What cowboy, cowboy movies? movies? Even then, that's why there's something called a cowboy shot. You know, it's a shot that's that frames above your knee. It's designed to, you know, basically see your gun, see your weapon. And um and I don't think you really um I mean I'm sure there's probably some films that you know focus more on the gun, the just shots and stuff, but most of the time, especially in cowboy films and action movies in the West, you always see the character's face. I feel like, and in you know, it's it's about the drama, it's about the expression more than the gun, really. Um, but in the East, it's more about what they, the stance they use, the the performance that they give, the punch that they have, the 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 reaction that they perform. You know, so, um, yeah. In boxing movies, like they even now today, all boxing movies. That they pay so much for the actors that they have their stances where the hands are not covering the face. So in real boxing, the face is completely covered and you don't even see the eyes right? in real boxing because the, the hands are up covering the face up close. But but in the movies, 
for, for that movie style, you, you don't want the hands blocking the face. So they kind of have a, like a John Claude Van Damme stance where the hands are out a little bit further away from the head so you can mm-hmm. actually capture the face. I think it's literally, it's, I think it's the symptom of because they have really expensive actors than yeah. <laughs> yeah. because of otherwise. Um, you know, you pay so much for an actor to shop per day, you better see what they look like, right? You know, if you can't see their face, then why have them there, right? You can pay someone that's much cheaper. So from the perspective like um, for storytelling, to aid storytelling, you're saying that um, like for those cowboy movies, you, you, you see um, the, the camera tries to show what one perspective is uh, from the characters, maybe for storytelling, uh, for like linear storytelling. I found that usually you see things more from the good guy perspective, uh, rather than a bad guy. So I think they try to put you in the seat of that journey uh, in, in the good guy's perspective. So you, you imagine yourself as the good guy. So usually you see what he's seeing, but it's very rare to see the opposite of that. It's very rare to see the bad guys preying on the good guy. Um, and the first time I think you see the bad guys, you see from a bad guy's perspective for a camera is Predator. Do you remember Predator, the movie um, mm-hmm. with... Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the, the first Predator, not the many, many, many spin-offs after that, but the first one where they're in the jungle. So that's the first time ever I've seen from the monster perspective because, you know, he, the monster's like looking up from the trees down and he can see, uh, do you call it infrared? He can see the thermal. So, so I thought that was quite refreshing to see it from the bad guy perspective. Wasn't there, you mentioned about the restaurant, about like, wasn't the good, the bad, and the ugly also had the 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 bad guy's perspective as well? You do, but um, that one, so the difference between the two, the Predator one, he's hunting them, right? So it was creepy and awesome at the same time because you finally be in the bad guy's shoes. But the Predator was really, really tough. And the people that, the good guys, you call it good guys? The soldiers that the Predator was hunting, he was picking them off. But in like the good, the bad, the ugly in the, in the cowboy movies, from their storytelling, is to show a really nice shot of the hero walking out. And the, mm. you usually have the, it, you call it minions, uh, yeah. the villains. Like, the ones who like, like are like ready to ambush him, you see it from the back of their heads, right? And they, they die really quickly. Like from a scene like that, so the hero walks out, and these bad guys are setting up a trap, and you're seeing it behind the villain's head, like a shadow, like they're all like hiding behind, mm-hmm. and in the moment the the villain jumps out, then they all fall over like cardboard. They just get shot like bang, bang, bang straight away, right? So the predator was a bit different in a way that he was actively hunting them off. So I found that was a mm-hmm. bit more like different style of storytelling that. We don't even get now, I don't think, in in, in most horror movies. I mean, Speaking of horror movies, yeah. um, the Chinese horror movies were amazing, like the Chinese ghost oh, stories. Yeah. <laughs> For me, uh, well, you know. <laughs> uh, define horror: horror as in scary, or horror as in monsters? Because. It, it was... The Chinese don't have for monster movies. There's no such thing as Chinese monster movies. They're, oh, no, there they is. They have ghost ones. Chinese they don't ghost, have monsters. Chinese, which one, which Chinese one? zombies? Name, name a Chinese... Okay, I guess so, yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah you're right. I was thinking more zombies. like Godzilla or like octopus type, like, you know. 
Oh, well, that's because that. no, that's a, that's a lot of cultural difference because you know, Godzilla comes from the uh, trauma of atomic bomb in Japan. So you know, I guess China doesn't really have we don't have that big kind monsters, of thing. Like, yeah, so, the Chinese don't have big monsters. They have, they have um, they like using wire work, don't they? Was that what Bear oh. was referring to? That the the flying wire work. That's right. Like, yeah, you get the zombies or the ghosts flying around in the. Yeah. Oh, you mean the actual Chinese ghost story, that movie called that, A Chinese Ghost Story? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic movie. That one was nominated for a Cannes. I think it was the first ever Chinese movie, Hong Kong movie, to, to make it, uh, to get a nomination in, in Cannes. I didn't, don't know if they won anything, but I think that was a very good soundtrack. They, 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 they got nominated for Best Movie Score, I believe. Wow, really? Yeah, I imagine yeah for Cannes. So, yeah, the, the Leslie Jones one, obviously. Uh, uh, the director called uh, Cho Hark, um, spelled uh, T S U I, Sway Hark. So, um, yeah, very famous director. So, for the wire works and stuff like that, I'd, I'd say uh, so your cinematography is transformed quite a bit once you incorporate wire work, right? So, you're saying that cinematography is where you place the camera, it, that mm-hmm. all becomes very, very difficult with wire works and they tend not to use wire works in hollywood movies right it's, it's just really not their well, style there are exceptions to the rule of course <laughs> matrix but you know the ones that does often are homages to wuxia films um a lot of times so um they don't like to use it it's very much a hong kong thing for the most part um and i think when Hong Kong does it, it's often well. You have to talk about the origin of Wuxia films, or in general, Wuxia stories, where you know it's effectively, um, we think about it, <laughs> Chinese superheroes. <laughs> you know, you have flying people who have effectively superpowers. Described with the word chi, you know, um, where they fly around using their iconic weapons. Um, good example of that: uh, Crushing Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You know, a very famous Y work based. Uh, action film um where you know you have characters and you have origin stories and you have the cinematic universe uh so yeah, yeah so you have the sort of universe within that world where you only see a portion of that you know world as a whole through, through the stories but um but yeah you have these invincible characters who defeat the bad guys and they fly around they have these epic superpowers that's well you know it's, isn't you know as crazy as Marvel stuff, but you know they still have uh, you know a, you know uh, superhuman abilities. You know to fly, to walk on water, to run on walls. The know. presentation. I'm I'm not actually a fan of Crashing Tiger and Dragon, even though it's won so many nominations. Uh, it got Oscar nominated, isn't it? Again, I I don't know my facts. I can't remember if it actually won an Oscar, but I think it, it was nominated for Oscar. It might be the first uh, Hong Kong movie. Uh, or Chinese production to to get nominated an Oscar, but the the wire work in that was so polished, it was so good. Like the wire work in that was was amazing for outdoor wire work as well because they weren't inside a studio in a CG room. They were like standing on them was it bamboo leaves, like lightly bouncing and then running across like lakes and stuff. It was was amazing for the wire work. Yeah, well, they have a lot of experience doing that for many, 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 many years, you know. So at the, at the point where they're making Crash Dragon Dragons, just been they've been doing that for like maybe half the a century. At that point. Yeah, yeah they clearly the mastered. Yeah, 
there, there was a, a a Chinese movie that's famous for why it works. It's called um, Zoo Warriors from Magic Mountain. Uh, it's this actor called Adam Cheng. So uh, Zoo Warrior from Magic Mountain. I, that one was again um, the choreographer or action director was that was Sammo Hong again, and that was meant to be a groundbreaking movie for why it because there was one scene where they had twenty people fly off. Uh, I think it was twenty people fly from a single point to all over because you have this explosion so you have this like uh, demon character his character possessed and he's got this energy and then they light him up in a green color and uh, all these other fairies are trying to stop him so he explodes and he's in the middle and uh, everyone around him like from the explosion they fly off using wireworks and for 20 people um, flying off at the same time I think it's 14 people or 15 people flying off it's an incredible shot because they all got their own wires. And for mm-hmm. one person, it takes three people, three to four people. If it's me and bear size, you need about five people to put manually pull. So that, that was an iconic scene in a uh, wire work. Yeah. And um, I think yeah, there's the, you know, a lot of sort of modern sort of my work film uh, hero. Um, <laughs> My favorite, oh, my uh, favorite. Oh, <laughs> is he your favorite? <laughs> One of my favorite. Um, <laughs> He's only in there for like ten ever. minutes. Oh, that, that's that, it, maybe even less than that. But I think he didn't say anything. Uh, Bed, yeah. you know this one, hero. No. no. Oh, really? You know the one, Jet versus Donnie Yen. Oh yes, I do. I do. Yes, thank you. He's pretending he knows. I bet he doesn't. <laughs> I do. I see on Netflix. <laughs> do, do you know the one where? Okay, so the he's. A, no spoiler a spoiler alert yeah the first spoiler alert on the podcast uh jet lee's this assassin and then he yeah. walks and he he has the kill of uh uh, uh rebels and and then he beats donnie yen and then instead of fighting straight away there's a guy playing his um kind of piano uh gu gu jang uh the, the the kind of string instrument it's like a piano and he's playing like a harp yeah it is more like a harp yeah uh and so before they fight, they imagine the fight in their, their head first and they go to this black and white kind of a scene where mm. because they're masters of martial arts, instead of fighting straight away, they just they, they kind of visualize it. They meditate and they visualize how the fight will play out and it plays out in black and white. Do you know that scene? I'm trying to remember this movie. Is this old school? Like as in, in terms of costume and design? Uh, yeah, setting yeah, in, based yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, the kind of first kingdom, the the first emperor type. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce the names uh, in, in in English, but um, it, it was like the based on the first emperor, uh, first emperor of China. Yeah. Yeah, that was incredible. But, um... I, I I watched a couple of movies like that, so I'm getting a bit muddled up in my movies. <laughs> but I do remember the scene, the fight scenes, um, Tony Yen and Jet Li. Uh, now, now I've got all movies mixed up right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing Jet Li and Donnie Yen in John Wick right now. So <laughs> my imagination is just flying around. Yeah, I think you pronounce it in in Cantonese is Chun, but in um, English is Q I N is Kin. Is it Chin? Chin, I think it's chin, pronounced yeah. Chin. They pronounce it as Chin. Chin, chin yeah, chin. chin. It's the Warring States period where uh, 
China was divided in like six kingdoms, and then you had like one warlord who was very, very successful and he united them all. This warlord, uh, his favorite color was black. So every time you see him, he's, he's always like got black hat, black robes. Uh, all his soldiers were wearing black armor. And his kingdom, like usually, you think like ancient kingdoms, like they're all gold, right? His palace would be all gold and stuff. But no, his palace was completely black. Black was like his lucky color. So it was it was that kind of time period. And uh, the Jet Li, he had to fight uh, kind of another hero called uh, Long Sky. Jet Li had this spear. Amazing fight scene. Like it, you can still see the wires in that. Like you can still see it the way they did apply wire work, but. It was just incredible because I think it was also like similar to one. It wasn't completely one shot, but the fight scenes were long. It was like one shot type fight scene. Do you, do you, do you suppose uh, when you're talking about that, I was just thinking about the 36 Chambers of Shaolin. Do you, do you suppose there was yeah, sure, brothers. wires? Yeah, yeah there was not you. enough. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of wires though. I mean, I, I didn't notice it, or it wasn't really obvious. Gordon Liu style, um, sure. Uh, they called the Lao, the Lao family. Uh, is part of this uh, uh, kind of um, th- there's different uh, families they call them, uh, or different houses in English. Probably the, there's different houses. So Sammo Hung had his house. Uh, Jackie Chan had his house. Um, Jackie Chan was previously part of like Sammo's house because they they grew up in the same kind of training camp uh, and and the Shaw brothers Gordon Liu 36 Chambers of Shaolin the, the Liu the Liu family uh, they were descended from the lineage uh, called Wang Feihong Wang Feihong yeah, and that's a really? southern southern Shaolin yep southern Shaolin southern Shaolin very low stance so uh, that 36 Chambers that house of martial arts don't favor they have like uh wire work but they don't favor it mm-hmm. wire works is not what they like they like low stances that is the divide between northern styles and southern styles and they try to dem- demonstrate the southern styles very low stance very wide very square yeah. um for a box type whereas the northern styles much more like belay they fly around they glide very long stances like, like they stretch out different kind of style yeah i've got a couple of fun questions actually but i was going to leave it to the end um i wanted to ask and it's just been playing on my mind and i don't know i'm getting so excited with all these talks of movies that i've got all these sort of my, my imagination is running wild now so um uh you and if i if i may ask just a couple of things <laughs> go ahead what, yeah so what one uh, what what is it that you do you have any plans which to make any sort of movies yourself after your after your uh, masters or um, after all your studies? Was well, in like what genre or like what kind of films? Are like yeah, well, what what genre would you be? Would it be martial arts based? <sighs> would it be sci-fi? I mean, I'm at this point you say I am a big fan of drama. <laughs> I, I I I'm a big fan of drama, but. In, if I ever, I don't know, if I ever become a DP, you know, of course I love to yeah. shoot action. I think action's incredibly fun. Um, I think I shot some stuff just on my own time or with friends. So there's some action, some action based or choreography based you know, films where you know it is very fun because you get to move the camera a lot and you get to experiment how to move the camera. And um, 
especially when you're new and you're just using your own equipment, you know, um, it's very fun. A lot of hard work because, you know, you're, you're as, as you know, being a, a, a cameraman or camera person uh, for action film is very very uh, exhausting you know you're moving just as you're, you're moving just as much as the choreographers do you know because you have to sort of comp- complement that movements and uh, and feel to the scene so you know if they're running 10 miles per hour for again and again for several takes you're gonna have to run 10 miles per hour for several several takes as well so wow um but i love to be yeah <laughs> so if you're on the other hand you're also carrying like a you know a very a decently heavy camera then and they're not so you're technically working a little bit harder than they are but i guess you could have the benefit of not being punched so <laughs> but that was my next question though that's my you know how what's the heaviest camera you've carried that in what is it that you you know have you have you carried something which is like just excruciatingly heavy and just can't do it? Um, before uh film school, uh no, you know because you, know, you use your own DSLR and or your own handphone camera and it worked yeah. perfectly fine. Let's be honest. But uh, once you get to film school, and you use like uh, we had something called an Arton, uh, which is like a old school eight you know nineteen eighties film camera. And, uh, well, you know, it's not excruciatingly heavy, you know, you can still, you know, move around with it for a little bit, but, um, you know, you can't really, you know, you have to sort of have someone hold on to it, you know, after like, you know, an hour or two sort of thing. But, uh, I know that, uh, especially in the real world, um, they, they often use something called, uh, Ari Alexa and those are heavy, heavy cameras <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it's difficult to handhold them, uh, in the first place. So you have to be pretty strong. Um, I know that there are things that you can use to basically supplement the weight, right? Uh, outside yeah. of being, you know, an incredibly buff human being. Um, there's this chest rig, they call it, where it has like this pole at the back of your back and um, that hangs in front of you, almost like a fishing pole. And there's this wire, this is a, you know, wire that comes down and supposed to attach it on top of your camera. That basically holds the camera for you at that position and you can basically move it around without using your arms. You use your back to basically hold the camera. And I guess in a way it's more economical, uh, ergonomical for for you, especially shooting like long hours um, or, you know, you're shooting action movies it requires a lot of, you know, running, moving or, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah. Wow. Those, those so, are I mean, really heavy. I, I I can imagine. I only know. I know. I know a few friends who are DPs. This is why I'm asking because mm. uh, one of them is a, is a, is a, is a girl, and um, yeah, and I knew her really well. That she, you know, she used to do filming for rap stars and sort of, uh, you know, very much um, white label uh, musicians. And and you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's ba- basically. The biceps just shows out, you know. <laughs> you know the, the the shoulder and the back muscles. It's always all a big workout. So, you know, and this is why I'm asking because it's 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 such a physical, physically demanding work. And plus, as you said earlier, um, you know that it's it's technical, it's creative. So you've you've you're basically an artist. You're you're a dancer out there performing with with the crew as well with, with the actors. Mm. What's the white label? Sorry, I'm not very knowledgeable in music. I, I believe those white labels are just like um, you're creating your own label. So you are sort of your music producers having your own um, license in in a sense or certification. Is um, it like a startup then? Um, yeah, sort of. Like, it's similar. Yeah. To st- 
okay. similar kind of thing. So you don't have a massive uh, music uh, company you sign up to. You've it's it's very much a you sort of a freelancer in a sense. You've got like well, creative freedom to, to move, but it's yeah. a smaller production. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah, there are the things same. that sort of help you carry the weight of the camera. So, um, in the end of the day, you—I mean, you do have to be fairly strong and you know have a good endurance to do it, especially if shooting for days and days. Um, but there are ways to help you a little bit, you know. Uh, but yeah, you do have to be physically. Uh, quite fit to do that kind of things i suppose excellent yeah i, I i'm just imagining everything while, while you were speaking uh it's i you know i really appreciate it because i, I could and and it's okay i could visualize all the movies and everything you were describing and how you're describing it really made me feel i was part of that although i don't have any skills in in that field i would have a dslr which i play around with sometimes and just my my android <laughs> camera my, my phone camera uh so it's yeah i really appreciate that you know that you've described stuff which is you know it's just uh riled up my imagination now so it's very inspiring if you want to do it, you can always just shoot a DSLR. You know, as we say, it's never the tool that's a that's it's not the tool that's you need, especially with photography. It's how you do it. It's all about techniques, styles, and creativity. It's, it's, it's really hard to film an action movie with <clears throat> limited tools, right? I, I find maybe it's easier to film a horror movie with with limited tools. Oh, I don't agree with that. I think it's because actually I think easier. horror is quite uh, to me. I think horror is scarier when it's filmed on really crap cameras. You're like, oh my god, it looks real. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you know, <laughs> but you have to understand the the the, the cheaper, the lighter, the e- the tools are, the easier actually to film it. Remember, you know, if you're using fancy cameras, the more expensive they are, the heavier they are, and the more effort you need to you know prepare for the stuff. You know, if you're using your phone camera or DSLR, you can just go and do it. That's it, you know, just prepare the, the fight scene, shoot it, and that's it. You don't need too much preparation. You don't really need that much preparation. So I, find, I find the fight it's almost easier that way. better when it's glossy, though. Whereas a horror movie, on the contrast, I find when it looks too glossy and there's too many angle changes and they zoom in and it's too clear, it, it, it doesn't look as realistic for the horror ones. But for the martial art ones, I want it as glossy as uh, the maximal kind of glossy. It depends, I think. It depends. It depends on your style that you want. I think you can very much pull off a very cool... I mean, have you ever seen... Oh, what do you call it? Um, there, was, there was a film called Hardcore Henry, and there was like this... I don't know, it's a first... Oh, it's one first of the first-person... Person, yeah, uh, sort of action films. And that was shot... inducing type. <laughs> yeah, but uh, they did like a proof-concept kind of thing beforehand, and that was shot on basically a GoPro. So, you know, you don't oh, really have an it? excuse... Yeah, there's oh, a proof wow. of concept. I think the actual final film, I don't know what it was shot on, but no, um, the, the, the proof of concept they shot was. The, the actual yeah, one the... was all CGI, though, isn't it? A lot of it was yeah. CGI, but um, I, I the proof of the concept they CGI. shot, sort of like a parkour slash um, fighting kind of style that they did, um, that was shot on a GoPro, and that was perfectly reasonable. That was great, <laughs> even if it's on a GoPro, you know. It's never about what you use, it's about how you do it. Always. Yeah. Hardcore Henry. That, that was a. That's interesting. Okay. Right? 2015 sci-fi, uh, kind of like a first-person shooter. Well, it was a first-person shooter movie. I think he succeeded in doing that. Actually, I think it has a very strong. Yeah, some people might not like it because it's too no, vomit-inducing in terms of movements. 
Yeah, but it's so very good. unique in a way of capturing that idea, that action, that feel. You know, you, you can't deny that it does that very well. Video game kind of style. Yeah, maybe maybe you should have asked this part first uh, from the beginning of the podcast. Like, if you're watching a a new martial art movie, say like John Wick Four comes out, or, or any just any action movie, from your kind of um, study and being the awareness on the technicalities. What would you say from an audience for a fun part to look for? What, what, like, what points would you look for, like, as a kind of like a analysis in cinematography? Like, what, what should the audience look for? That's a very difficult question. <laughs> you must have an issue, like, where now after all your film studies and you go to cinema, you don't just watch it like a normal person. You don't just uh, enjoy the plot. You actually like pick up certain things to see, oh, did they do this? Did they do that? So you must have a checklist in your head. So what are the key yeah. points to look for in that checklist? I argue that I do it less. I'm more forgiving when it comes to action films because it's very much more about what they try and rather than what they don't. You know, I, I, I appreciate that action movies are far more experimental in the way they choose to shoot a scene. And um, I actually am um, more forgiving and they make mistakes. You know, something... Um, <clears throat> and it, 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 for me, what's interesting about action, Hollywood action films now, is that is what they're in a period of... I wouldn't say golden age, it's a bit... You know, but in a period where they are very exciting, excited to experiment... And for me, I wanted to sort of find out what new styles and techniques and stuff that they develop uh, in the new film, you know. Because, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe because of John Wick, the, the, it sort of sparks off like a generation of, you know, Hollywood action films that sort of wants to do something new, as, you know, wants to be like The Raid, wants to be like, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, Jackie Chan, or you know that that doesn't stick to the traditional cut, 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 uh, shaky cam formula, um, and it's less to do with what I look out for that I'm against. It's more like what I look out, what I'm excited to see. It's just, I guess, the way how they experiment. Yeah, the new way. So you want them to be uh, innovative. You want to yeah, see what I new innovations are. Yeah, I think that's also what I would look out for in terms of cinematography. Um, yeah. But th- there wouldn't be any innovations in, say, John Wick, though, right? Like, after the first one. Like, two, three, four, um, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> practically following. Well, I don't know about John right? Wick, but I think uh, the, the derivative of stuff like... stuff, you know, There are derivative of John Wick styles of uh, Hollywood films would probably want to experiment with something new that we haven't done before. Um, or some sort of awesome action scenes, you know? Well, um, well like, do you... Oh, June. Uh, June, June is uh, June is an interesting one. <laughs> I didn't begin? like June when I was watching it, but then when I realised, and it, this is like not fair, so you should always like watch a movie without any uh, uh, prejudices, right? Um, but w- when I was watching June, I th- I really didn't enjoy it. I thought it was copying Star Wars, and this is really stupid, right? Because I didn't know that June kind of inspired Star Wars. It's like made yeah. in the sixties. That blew my mind. Like that completely. Like, oh my God. But um, on, on the movie itself, like, they did some, like, kind of Sparta-style stuff, didn't they? You know, when the House of Atreides, uh, spoiler alert, yeah. had a fight scene. 
Like, is that a spoiler? Like, like the fight scene. Whoa, 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 whoa. Some of our viewers haven't seen that yet. <laughs> <laughs> you must know there's a fight scene, well, right? <laughs> what, what, one of the spoilers I could give you is that they didn't use guns like Star, Star Wars. It was very like Spartan, wasn't it? Like for 300. Yeah, very much, yeah. It's like but they, Roman they, they didn't even copy like, the chanting. Like they called so, their yeah. own house name. It was like for Sparta and then like Atreides. And, and they <laughs> did that battle formation that was... I felt was like a bit of a copy of um, 300 where they had one guy in front with a spear well not a spear but like a sword and the other yeah. guy would support him and they marched well, you forward had to, like that we had to understand the contemporary cinema is derivative of a derivative of a derivative you know they all copy from each other at some point and always do you know if you've seen the original Dune it's very very different movie compared to what you see now you know and no doubt they probably have taken the idea from Sex and Schneider's uh, 300 um, because it looks cool, let's be honest. Um, and, you know, they probably have stolen some designs and ideas from Star Wars, even though they Dune has come first, you know, because what, what they adapt to cinema, what's adapted to the screen is different to the books, which is different to the original film. Um, and she said, anyway, Star Wars in of itself is a, a derivative for Seven Samurais, as you know, and that in of itself is a derivative of, you know, Spaghetti Western. So so who's first, really? It's Chicken and the Eggs in scenario, I think. Yeah, I, I was impressed after... Um, I, I, this is not fair, right? I was just impressed with the plot uh, a lot. The, the movie was, I think, um, was a very good presentation of the plot. After I found out about the plot and what, what June meant and the story behind it, I was blown away m- more so because of when it was, uh, how creative that author must have been. You know, How did he even come with these ideas? Like, he, he was in the 1960s time where even in 1980s, you'd go to an office and there'd be a ring binder there. Can you imagine? That's not that long ago, 1980s. But you go to work, there's no computer on your desk, and there's a ring binder. So this guy, uh, from the Dune storylines, he thought of like spaceships and uh, artificial intelligence and robots. And uh, like, how did you like? You, it's not something that you would have any. Um, uh, it's not something you could relate to, right? Like when you think of like computers and developing artificial intelligence now it's normal to talk about that like it's the big thing of ai this ai that but in 1960s like author would have went to you know a pie and mass shop <laughs> like the weekend go to news agents to buy a magazine go to work and there's no computers there so how would you have this like concept of artificial intelligence and computing is really mind-blowing um uh well, I, well i'm not sure how exactly they wrote june but I assume, as most writers are, they take their ideas from what they see in their world as well, you know. Um, of course, the idea of houses is taken from historic, you know, um, medieval history, you know, of the idea of various houses, slash guilds, slash whatever. Um, you know, either you have a king, an emperor, a ruler, and so on and so forth, and the internal politics of such. Um, but I assume, I think it's kind of a misconception that people didn't have, didn't really have an idea what the future's gonna look like back in the day. I think took everyone spice. that's it. They all loads of spies. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But um they always have an idea of sort of what the future's gonna look like, you know. <laughs> of course oftentimes and many you know as many are are wrong. Um I mean they always try to experiment I mean, they always ex- they have experimented with artificial humans, artificial intelligence even back in the days, you know, when they try to make uh you know, a, a mechanical human being. You know, they tried to make robots many years ago, even with the, even before the age of electricity. So it's not that they didn't know what they didn't 
do them or didn't have any idea they do it's just their idea of what artificial intelligence is very different to what we see now of course what you see on dune is very much what we our version of artificial intelligence it might not be the same version or same idea of what the original writer intended true because i didn't read uh, the books right so it's yeah, and if you watch the original uh dune it's very different to the current dune as well you know <laughs> it's very different style and aesthetics you know and it's all down to the because but i think there's always these universal ideas that you know people have always wanted to find out experiment and work out you know it's it, it isn't as contemporary as you like to think it is i think wow yeah no it's 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 been riveting i mean i'm i'm excited to re-watch dune now <laughs> <laughs> yeah I yeah mean, I, I, I don't recommend it but you can check out the original and still compare and contrast the two and you see what i mean by like it's the same story, but it's very different in terms of how you interpret stuff. You know, mm-hmm. the, the one we see is very contemporary version of that story, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you cannot... Like, when I first watched June, I was saying, like, this is basically Final Fantasy fifteen story with uh, Warhammer 40k, you know? The idea of houses, yeah. the idea of God Emperor, the idea of, like, spaceships, how they go to and exploit uh, a foreign culture, which, you know, very is Warhammer. a reference to foreign... Yeah, very for, Warhammer. For Warhammer. And the, but, the main but... story of the Prince is in the style of how the prince and the, the family, the treaties, wear these suits. I suppose to know, like literally, like very modern suit. I suppose to know something fancy and sci-fi. That's from like uh, Final Fantasy, and that's, that might expensive. not be in the original. That, that's what I remember. Warhammer, like when when you're in, in the age that I was really interested in Warhammer, must be like fourteen, fifteen. Uh, still like, mm-hmm. quite young, but at fourteen, fifteen, could really not afford Warhammer. It, it it was really grown up pricing. I don't know if Bear knows anything about Warhammer. I don't. Sorry. Yeah, but basically, it's these like miniature. Uh, it's a board game. Essentially, it's a very very complicated board game with a lot of rules uh, under kind of like a the playing style of Dungeons and Dragons. So you need about two two three days to play it, kind of thing. Uh, and it's Dungeons and Dragons with set pieces. It's hand painted miniatures. Uh, wow. That come with different rule books. And uh, you don't have a board. I don't think you actually design. You actually build your own board. Uh, you, you design you your can, own sets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a very, it's an extremely expensive hobby. And at the age I, I came across it at fourteen, fifteen, so there's no no chance of that. It's somehow more expensive now, ironically. But uh, yeah, <laughs> is it? I remember it was always expensive when I was fourteen, fifteen. Well, it, was it was expensive back in the days, expensive. but remember the quality was high. Oh, so since we mentioned it, it's quite interesting to talk about a bit more about uh, wire food, they call it, um, and the craft of using wires in movies. And Hong Kong is quite famous for, for, for what they do. And uh, you do hear a lot of stuntmen talking about it. In, in Hong Kong, um, the, the idea, it, most people would think of the wire being quite a safe mechanism, uh, being like a cable. But what they do in Hong Kong, they use more like a wire thread or, or wire string. So it's a lot more thin. And um, even for more classic movies, uh, computer editing uh, post-production was accessible, had had been around already, but that would really blow up the cost on post-production. So what they would rather do is avoid um, editing uh, as necessary. And on the wide shots, it it costs a lot more um, because it was on film. So uh, what they would do is they'd rather paint out with a marker pen, they would actually 
paint out yeah you'll have a a person on set painting the the wires um from silver to black so they come in silver uh, and that's just to reduce the um the reflection on screen so a black line moving on film is a lot less noticeable and um even then you would get like a metallic reflection so what they would do is uh, around you, you still get a spotlight on the actors get bright lights on the actors but what they would do is um to avoid the reflection glow from the wire itself they would put black cloth um boards so boards wrapped in black cloth uh, around the set so that will reduce the the reflection to the camera and as the actors are actually moving in motion um you would get uh, the film crew chasing uh the the, the actors around the set w with that black cloth just to capture and just to reduce alleviate some of the the shine and the metallic reflection for um bringing that wire technology to hollywood um the matrix was really again like being a, a keanu reeves fan was one of the movies that that demonstrates quite a lot of uh, the wire foo being used and just to really uh, com have a compliment again on keanu reeves hard work ethics his, his ethics in in um what he does he he was asked actually on set he had um the martial arts choreographer a legendary one yun wu ping so yun wu ping's done countless martial art movies there's too 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 many to count uh one of the mentors of donnie yen uh on the film filmmaking so for keanu reeves he was actually asked to um to, to take put on a hollywood style harness so that one is like much more comfortable and it's like more padding and he he asked the question to the film crew is that also for for you guys in hong kong which harness do you use and they show him oh this one it's like a much more basic flimsy nylon it's basically a nylon rope that you have uh, similar to what you have in um, a lot of the indoor rock climbing it's for a very basic uh two hoops around your legs and it really digs into in the fires and they'll be like okay i'll use your one i'll use whatever hong kong uses so he really does um trust that that craft in in hong kong and and it really does have like that hard working ethics that the hong kong one does hurt a lot more because it digs right into you so as glamorous as it looks when you have people flying around looking all relaxed and cool it's actually quite painful and bruises are inevitable so what they do is they try to put little sponges where the nylon straps are uh in between your legs the the hip and uh, underneath your armpits th those places will get nylon burn for sure you get bruises you get burns especially when you're having a constant wedgie practically so uh also some of the shots are um the wires attach in the center of the body uh in the middle uh where your hip is if, if you if you can count that as a center and on the flying superman style poses the, what happens is that you pull the person up and they'll be hanging like a teddy bear in a claw machine so like your your head and your legs naturally uh kind of slope down so the actor has the bit of a kind of strenuous job of staying upright so really engaging their core and and flexing out the arms and legs to maintain that straight superman pose so there's a lot uh, it is not as comfortable as it looks on screen.
when we started talking about uh, your trip to Poland. Uh, if you can uh, share a little bit, you know, if it's not too personal to, to share what your next mission is there. Uh, it's not that interesting, to be honest. It was just, uh, it's more like a trip with friends going to Poland's uh, film festival, which I had to, you know, it's more of a, a, a cinematographer conference sort of thing. So it's more about like trying to better understand uh, sort of cinematography from various uh, industry <laughs> legends. You know, as Vitaris Zoraro, for example, I think he he's gonna have a have a talk there, and love to see it. And uh, I don't know if you know Vitaris Zoraro. He's the cinematographer for um, the Last Emperor. Um, uh, it's the one about um, it's, it's it's the one about um, the last emperor of China um, yeah. shot from like a sort of Western perspective. So, well, I guess it's Western perspective. Yeah. Um, I think he also done Apocalypse Now. I might be wrong. I don't want to, don't quote me on that one. <laughs> but yeah, um, it, but his thing is that he's very much into the idea of color. And I, re- I love to sort of hear what he has to say. He wrote this book that's, um, that basically uh, gave, you know, pushes the idea of color theory um for cinema how like different colors mean different things let's say he's on a red for love um purple for passion blue for depression loneliness sadness you know so and so for stuff like that you know so wow. he's an italian director right and he's gonna be yeah, what, italian in, is, there's a um the film festival will, will be based in poland yeah i think mean, he's just gonna do a you know, sort of a talk a yeah, he's gonna do a talk about you know his his work there, and it'd be very interesting, I think. Yeah, also so, it'll be yeah, a good opportunity to network as well. Potentially, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not very good at networking, but we'll, 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 we can try. You said that's not very exciting. Like my my trip, uh, well, my, my next plan trip is to go to Tesco's. We can. Oh, that's that's more exciting, isn't it? <laughs> I know it, it's, it might not be very exciting. For um, for for people that's not in the industry, I guess I don't want to be like, oh, this this nerdy thing that I'm really interested in, you know. <laughs> but I think it, it'd be very interesting to see what he says. I I love to hear about his idea of color theory more. Um, I I'm a firm believer of like how different colors have different meaning, and in turn, uh, different cultures have different meaning for different colors. For example, the yeah. color yellow is very royal in china you know uh, kings emperors rulers often are colored in yellow. yellow and in the west it's often purple if you're french i guess and red if you're sort of british yeah yeah um, that's right yeah colors do have it, it, yeah what about for india um the indian cultures was so, that, like, yeah, more gold Indian cultures similar to Chinese, where you've got red, yellow, orange. So orange is very much a holy color, auspicious, and you know, yogis, gurus, and holy people wear it. And it's a color of dharma. Uh, so oranges and and yellow. Um, it, it all has a significance, like in um, uh, uh, Vedic astrology, which is Indian astrology. Um, so all the colors, for example, red would be Mars. And red is very auspicious as well. So it's also representing the goddess, the feminine aspect. So, it, you know, um, it, it's energy, um, it's power, um, you know, and then you've got uh, different colors. So you've got black for Saturn, yellow for Jupiter. 
So if you want to increase your intelligence, you would wear yellow, for example. Uh, so it has sort of it works in sort of some parallel with the Chinese culture, uh, with the colors and colors have that psychology as well. So it affects. So I've got I, I could go on about this as a whole different podcast on this. Really, <laughs> we should do yeah. um, a podcast with Sijian on like talking about filming and how colors applied. Yeah, absolutely, that would be amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can try that. Um, but I think what's very interesting is the idea of different culture, different idea what color means. You know, I find that really fascinating. How like Chinese, it, of course, famously red is luck, right, or fortune. Um, it could also be yellow as well. But um, but how red is also in the West is is a color of danger, you know, blood, gore, fighting, horror. Um. You know, uh, and maybe and in, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's the idea how. But there's a very interesting point how um, where just because you have used a certain color language, and um, in your film, it doesn't often translate to other cultures. For example, you know, Western movies use a very Western color language. You know, um, that in the West people will typically understand. But if you send a similar idea in the East, they might not. It might not convey the same meaning, you know, yeah. and I think that's very fascinating. How like you have a one piece of art and can be interpreted differently depends on which culture or background you come from. They How also show. Be... Sorry, after you. No, sorry. I was saying it. It's, it shows the richness of different perspectives. It's the way I see it. Um, so there's, there's a different perspective to look at a story uh, or a situation, and and this is this is where. I feel movie industry intertwines with the spiritual world as well and psychology, um, something I'm interested in. Um, and as you mentioned, colors. So it's, 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 you know, different angles, different, different perceptions, different colors, different textures, different sounds. Uh, so yes, yeah, Jan, that was really helpful. Um, shared a lot of good insights. Uh, it was quite fun talking about movies. So uh, know that you're still working on some prototypes of, of your own just for learning. Uh, is there uh, any place that we can see some of your, your work to showcase or prototypes of what you're working on at the moment? Uh, of course, yeah. Uh, you can all follow me at uh, Z-I-J-I-A-N-C-A-I, Z-I-J-I-A-N-C-A-I, at on uh, YouTube. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy my work. And if you do, of course, like, like and subscribe. Uh, I can always do with more followers. And th- there's one video with 47,000 views. <laughs> yeah, yes, I do have a video with 47,000 views that I'm very proud of. It's actually the first film I ever made when I was uh, young. And um, I think it's the one that had we had the most fun making it, I suppose, um, because we just didn't care about the rules at the time. We didn't know much about filmmaking when we just made it because we wanted to tell that story. And uh, I recommend uh, everyone to check it out. Um, it's like a fun little uh, horror movie uh, about uh, Elmo that's possessed. So hope you guys enjoy it. <laughs> Again, back to my point, you know, the horror doesn't need the big production. <laughs> it's one of the lower oh, thresholds of the tools. Yeah. All right. Thank you for, for, for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank, thank you. you.